before. Do you prefer Robert, Rob, Robbie, Bob, Bobbert? Uh, Robert. Yeah. You know, it's funny for years and years when I was, uh, uh, in my former career, everybody called me Bob, but, um, I never really preferred it. <laughs> it just yeah, I grew started up, I, and you couldn't stop it, huh? <laughs> right. I grew up as Robert. And so when I came back to Utah, I said, you know what? I'm going to go back to Robert. <laughs> gotcha. Where, uh, where were you living outside of Utah previously? Well, I left right after college. After I graduated from college, I went to Northern Virginia to go to work for the, for the government. And oh. so I, I spent 25 years between Northern Virginia and, and uh, overseas going back and forth. Really? Are you at liberty to say what you were doing for the government? Well, I can now. <laughs> I got you. Yeah, yeah. Now, now that I retired from it, I was uh, I was working for CIA. I was a finance officer for CIA. You know, I, that's cool. Now, I'm not, I'm not, I'm not trying to cast any sort of dispersions or anything, but if I may, leave out the finance thing. Just, just say that you were overseas working for the CIA. That sounds <laughs> terrifying. Well, you know, it's like. Uh, yeah, what I tell people, I wasn't Jason Bourne, but Jason Bourne uh, turned in his accountings to me. <laughs> That's awesome. <laughs> so, so you know, I had to make sure I had all his receipts and everything. Right, you, know? you got all those receipts for the uh, the like ballpoint pens that he used to kill people and stuff like that. Exactly. I got you. Well, that's, you know, those are the those are the important wheels that keep the Jason Bournes of the world running, you know. <laughs> without without those forms being properly uh properly itemized and uh and filed, then, uh, you know, the whole thing would come crashing down. So that's right. So where did you often go to the same places overseas or were you just all over the place all the time? Well, I actually lived, uh, in six different overseas posts, which is a little unusual for my career path. Uh, most, you know, your finance types didn't spend that much time overseas, but I enjoyed it. And, uh, so I sought those assignments, but I, you know, I was in, uh, my first assignment was in Berlin and uh, it was, an interesting time. I was there from 89 to 90. So I was there when the wall came down, Yeah, wow. which was, which was a lot of fun. And then I, I was in, uh, Guatemala, uh, South Africa, Kenya, uh, Vienna and Frankfurt. Wow. What a cool list of places. Did you, which, which one did you spend the most time in? Uh, I spent three years in Guatemala and three years in Vienna. Mm. And we're in, yeah, oh, go ahead. I was going to say, and there's a lot of travel involved beside that because you know, there were uh, some of those uh, jobs were regional. So I, I traveled all over Africa. I spent a lot of time traveling all over Africa. Oh, that that is so cool. What was so so like when you say regional, is that just like there would be maybe like a central CIA office in Kenya, but then there would be like sort of other offices around exactly. it that you'd have to go around to. Exactly. I, I would work in, I, you know, I lived in, in Kenya, in Nairobi, Kenya, you know, I'd work out of the embassy there. And, uh, and I, I would travel frequently to half a dozen other of, of the stations around uh, East Africa to go audit their books and, and help them out. Wow. This is probably the most exciting uh, job in finance and auditing that exists. I would, I would, I would venture. <laughs> I've got a brother-in-law so. who who does who does um, accounting for a, a big real estate firm, and you know it's it's cool and all, but you know he spends a lot of time looking at spreadsheets. If you can at least take your spreadsheets spreadsheets across the globe, that's something, man. Well, yeah, and I, I figure you know it's the world's most boring job uh, in some of the world's most exciting places. <laughs> that's awesome. <laughs> 
That's awesome. Do you have a, a favorite place that like you'd love to go back to either to visit or to live again? Boy, it's hard to say. I love them all, but I, 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 I really liked Vienna. I, I served my mission in Austria, so you know I was kind of fond of, of Vienna anyway. Yeah, um, it's a great place to live. Kenya was was fascinating just because of all the you know the animals you go on the safaris and all that. So I'd, I'd say those are kind of my two favorites. And is Kenya where Mount Kilimanjaro is? It is. Man, that's yep. that's been a dream of mine since I was a kid to climb up that mountain. Yeah. Not only because of the Kansas song, of course. <laughs> well, um, that that's really cool. So you left right after college. Then did you spend like? Is this like, did you only recently come back to Utah? Because, I mean, I've only known you since you joined the band, which was only, what, was that two years ago? Yeah, about, about two years, yeah. Now, I, um, one of the benefits with that kind of job is you can retire fairly young. So I retired when I turned 50. I'm 59 now. And I retired when I turned 50 and uh, came back to, uh, to Utah to start a new career. I work, I work for Utah County now. Mm. A lot a lot. A lot less sexy job than before. Yeah, like maybe maybe you don't have to fall. You don't have to put that one on your resume. Just leave it at CIA, right? <laughs> yeah, I mean, working, working for the county, I almost never have to kill anybody. Right, <laughs> almost never. <laughs> so, did you pick up uh, foreign languages in all of these countries, or were you able to mostly function with English? Well, I um, I already knew German from my mission, so you know, I was fluent in German. Uh, but I did learn Spanish, uh, when I was in, um, Guatemala, uh, I, it, I was never, uh, particularly good at Spanish, but passable. Yeah. And did you ever encounter bagpipes on any of these travels? Uh, no, you know, maybe, you know, sometimes in Virginia, I mean, there's oh, some pretty sure. active active uh, groups in Virginia. I went to a couple of Scottish festivals there, <clears throat> but um, no, I never really came across any, which is a little surprising because some of these uh, African countries were former British colonies. Yeah. Uh, I suppose if I'd looked hard enough, I would have found some. Yeah. I have seen some very, really entertaining videos of, um, you know, like camel mounted pipers and stuff like that, that in, uh, in parts of the world that used to be sort of, you know, parts of the British, uh, larger British empire. Right. So in that case, how, tell me about how you yourself came to bagpiping. Like what, maybe, maybe start with what's your earliest memory of encountering bagpipes or a pipe band? Well, I, I have, I have loved the bagpipes for as long as I can remember. Um, my, my uncle Don Baxter was with the Salt Lake Scots and I remember li listening to him, watching him in the parades, uh, and my grandfather on my mother's side, Albert Armstrong, also was a bagpiper, and he played with uh, the Utah Pipe Band. Oh uh, wow! So you've got you got a some serious local bagpipe heritage. Yeah, um, and I you know I remember as a kid I was just immensely proud of, of both of them you know and I'd go to the parade and I'd see both bands marching in the parade and I thought that was the coolest thing in the world. I loved the music. You know, I, I would follow them down the parade route to listen to them. I, I just, I always loved the music. Uh, I remember, you know, years ago, even buying a cassette tape of bagpipe music to listen to in my car. I, I just always loved it. It just spoke to me. Yeah. Um, and, I, it, you know, it never really occurred to me that I could ever play them. Uh, I mean, I thought when I'd watch, uh, you know, the Salt Lake Scots marching in the parade, I, you know, I'd see that 
uh, I see that that guy in the front with the, the great big tall black hat on yeah. with the baton. And I say, well, maybe I can be him. I'll be that guy, you know, because that, that made me look like I was eight feet tall. And I'll just march in front of the band and that'd yeah. be fun. Aren't you already eight <laughs> feet tall? <laughs> not, not without, only with the hat. I see, I see. But, um, so, I, you know, it, it just never occurred to me that I could actually play them. So, well, maybe I'll do that. Um, and I, I actually had thought about learning a day, and I, day, and I, but I have to admit, I, I got a little discouraged when I was a teenager. Uh, my uncle Don played at a, a some kind of a function, and somebody came up to me and asked, "What, what do you have to do to learn to play the bagpipes?" I said, "Well, you know, you start with this practice chanter, and you, you practice on that for for one to two years." And as soon as I heard that, oh, geez, yeah. <laughs> that that doesn't sound fun at all. I mean, you know, when you're a teenager, one to two years, you might as well say a hundred years. Yeah, that's forever. And so I, I just kind of lost interest in that. that. That's just way too hard. I'll never learn that. Um, but then I uh, I inherited my grandfather's pipes. Oh, okay. I was going to ask you about that. I couldn't remember if your pipes had been your grandfather's or your uncle's. Well, my, my grandfather's pipes, they were some some old uh, packy pipes. Mm-hmm. Uh, they were apparently pretty, pretty decent quality. Yeah, sometimes um, you can get those to play all right. It just It does take some work, though. Usually. Yeah, they, they, they weren't bad. Uh, but, you know, I, I, to this day, I really don't remember how I even ended up with them because, you know, my mother, my grandfather died in 1973. Mm. Uh, my mother was the middle child of three, and I'm the middle child of seven. And as you might imagine, middle children don't usually inherit much. <laughs> right. You <laughs> and, have to be on one end or the other. <laughs> right. And I don't, and somehow I ended up with them. I don't even know how. Well, they, you know what I, you know what it probably is. The oldest child of his oldest child probably got some, you know, some uh, some David nail pipes or something like that. And the youngest <laughs> of the youngest probably got some some other decent pipes, you know, and you got the the others. Probably these are middle child pipes. Let's get those to Robert. <laughs> right. And so you know, I just carried those around for decades, and I kept threatening to learn how to play them. And uh, you know, my wife finally called my bluff. You know, bless her heart, she's a great gift giver. Yeah. Um, because you know, to be a, to be a good gift giver, you have to understand what are the wants and needs of of your loved one. Sure. And she's really good at that. Uh, and so she, you know, one day, you know, we'd gone to a couple of Scottish festivals here in, in you know around Salt Lake, and you know, she knew I was interested. And uh, one Christmas, she did some research, and somehow she got a hold of of Diana. I got a hold of her name, and she gifted me. Uh, some lessons, bagpipe lessons from Diana. And that's awesome. And, that, and that's how I that's how I got started. You know, Diana and, and Zach helped um, helped me get those old packies up and going again. I had to replace a lot. Of, a lot I mean, they hadn't been played in you know forty something years. And I, I'm just imagining like the the crispy, crunchy sounds that bag must have been making as you Oh yeah, I had, I had to replace the bag, replace yeah. all the reeds, replace the chanter. Um, but you know, we got them going. But then. Uh, about a year later, I got a phone call from uh, my aunt, my uncle Don's uh, wife, Rayonda. She called me and uh, she said, I say, I understand you're, you're playing the pipes. I say, uh, yes, I am. So I've, I've got a proposition for you. How would you like to take uh, Don's pipes, mm. his hardies? And I, I was just blown away by that. I mean, this is, you know, a family heirloom. Yeah. And she's offering them up to me. And uh, of course, I couldn't turn that down. And so I got, got those up and, and running again. And that's what I'm playing now. 
and so that's the set that we'll all be familiar with that we've seen you with that have that um that like you know that that what used to be probably closer to an ivory color that is now turned to yellow which a yellowy actually dark orange yeah yeah <laughs> which honestly like that color in any other context probably wouldn't be considered beautiful but i think that most pipers consider that beautiful just because we know what that means you know it means these are old pipes of serious quality basically yeah my, my understanding is my my uncle in the early 60s uh you know drove up to canada to purchase those pipes mm. And are these now, if I remember right from talking to Larry Erdman, um, your uncle was in that movie, right? That movie that was shot uh, here in Utah and that included a pipe band? Yes, The Devil's Brigade. And yeah, were, they, were those pipes on his shoulder in that movie? They, they, they sure were. Wow, sir. I mean, they, they, they came marching in at Camp Williams there playing uh, Scotland the Brave. Uh, it was, uh, oh, I guess, about six, six pipers uh, marching in in that movie. So we've got we've got some some serious uh, local local history and Hollywood fame all rolled up in those pipes that you that you put on your shoulder at practice <laughs> every week, huh? Yeah. And and right now, you know, as of you know the, these days, who who usually gets to hear you play in your pipes? Who gets to hear you practice in and working stuff out? Well, I I uh, I play in our we have an office kind of at the corner of the house. Uh, it's uh you know i shut the door but obviously they can hear me <laughs> yeah a lot of good that does <laughs> and they're, they're remarkably tolerant uh you know my, my daughter my my 15 year old daughter is is also a, a pianist so we get to listen to her uh practice but she's gotten good enough now that we actually enjoy listening to her practice <laughs> is this kind of uh, your revenge for the years when she was learning <laughs> right uh but they, they they put up with it uh, remarkably well um and i so they're the ones that hear me the most. I, I know when we were doing, when this whole COVID thing started, uh, you know, we started out with the um, sort of as, as a, as in unity with the other pipe bands across the nation. He said, oh, look, everybody play at sunset. So I said, yeah, why not? So I put on the kilt, went out and just played in my, my front lawn. And uh, I just, I, I started doing it every night. I figured, hey, you know, this won't last long. This will be a couple of weeks. Right. Yeah. <laughs> and, so I started doing it every night and, you know, the, the neighbors started coming out the doors and they came to, to expect it. And, and, uh, they were actually enjoying it. They, uh, they said, please keep doing it, keep doing it. We love this. So I, I just kept doing it. And it was actually great because it helped me really increase the, um, uh, you know, my, my piping cause I had to, you know, practice every day. Yeah. <laughs> and, having something that you're playing for definitely helps in that way for sure. So, you know, I kept that up for, several honest almost a couple of months i think and what a and, great thing to have confirmation that you're not driving your neighbors crazy every time you practice huh to have well, that kind of confirmation from them that they do seem to like it well and i worried about that because i thought well maybe they're just being polite you know maybe they yeah, don't really yeah like i'm sure polite. those thoughts go through all every piper's mind and uh, you know finally i said well i can't do this forever so that's when we finally uh i got uh, a bunch of the band together to do sort of a finale and yeah, so I remember we, that. I, I didn't so, get to go myself, but I remember they putting that together. Yeah. So yeah, we went and played in front of uh, of Heidi's parents' place uh, up in um, uh, Alpine, and and then came and played in front of my place, and a lot of people came around, and, and I thought, okay, that's it, we're done. Um, and then uh, you know, a week or two later, my neighbors came back and said, "Hey, we want you to play again." I said, oh, man, <laughs> every day. 
And so how about you just do once a week? It's okay. So every Sunday, I, then I started just doing every Sunday night, and I, I did that until it got you know too cold and dark. So I'm not right. doing it now. Much more sustainable pace, though, right? And uh, yeah. who knows how this will all play out? You might be doing that all through the summer again, huh? <laughs> but it, it was really, it was really uh, to me, it was um, humbling and and gratifying that they were asking me to do it. Yeah. You know that that I wasn't shoving this down somebody's throat. That they, right, right. they actually wanted me to do it. Yeah, yeah, that's 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 beautiful confirmation. I'm sure that that brings a lot of peace when you whenever you have to practice. Now you can at least think to yourself, well, I don't think I'm making everybody crazy. <laughs> well, it's it's interesting because my um, when my uh, my aunt and my cousin uh, uh, Jane when they when they actually gave me my uncle's pipes because he he had gotten. He, you know, he, he'd gotten into his nineties and he was having some dementia issues and he just passed away, you know, just this year, last yeah, year. Yeah, And that was kind of, kind of news within the piping community, just especially locally because he'd been, he'd been a key part of it for so long. He was, was he, he did, he had something to do with the Utah Scottish Association for a while as well. So I, he was pretty well known. Right. And I, I believe he's one of the founding members of the Salt Lake Scots. Oh yeah. I, I bet you're right. That, that would marry up with yeah. what Larry was saying. But, uh, you know, when they gave me the pipes, you know, they, they said, well, this is great. We we want to have somebody to have them that's going to use them, and and we're and we're kind of hoping, you know, that that when the time comes, that, that you know you can you can play them, you know. It's oh, like sure. oh, when the time yeah. comes, I go okay. And so I'm thinking, well, uh, yeah, I'd be happy to do that. My my biggest fear is, you know, I'm still I still kind of suck at this. And I, I'm not, <laughs> uh, you know, I, I wouldn't want to ruin his funeral. And uh, so when the time did come, I didn't play. And, and I, I was, I was disappointed, not because they didn't ask me to play. I was disappointed because I knew why they didn't ask me to play. I knew I wasn't really good enough no. and I didn't want to play if I wasn't good enough. Yeah. So, uh, so I, you know, I wasn't offended in the, in the slightest. I was actually kind of relieved that I didn't <laughs> ruin his funeral. Yeah. But, uh, um, what did happen though, you know, several months later, my, my mother passed away at the age of 90. Mm. And I, I, I did play at hers and, uh, and my cousin was there. Um, my cousin Jane was there and, and, you know, and after it was over, I just played, you know, your basic amazing grace, uh, going home, uh, um, pieces that are pretty easy to play. Yeah. Sure. But, so I, I played those pieces and, uh, and after it was over, she came, came up to me with a, a tear in her eye and said, so, you know, I, I've heard those pieces. I've heard my dad play those pieces a thousand times mm. and I close my eyes and I swear I could hear my dad. Well, that's and, awesome. I, and I thought mission accomplished. I should just quit playing now. Uh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that's the high note. Don't, don't, yeah, that's right. don't now. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's really cool. Especially it being his pipes, you know, what a cool family legacy. Yeah. Now, do you do you feel like you could distill? Like, I understand that your family tolerates it pretty well, and your neighbors seem to like it. Do you think that there's anybody, be it neighbor, friend, or family member, that you would say, "Oh, this person's probably my biggest fan. This person really likes bagpipes. They like to hear me play." Well, I, I seem to be pretty fairly popular with the old ladies. <laughs> sure, especially when you put the kilt on, right? <laughs> <laughs> I think uh, I think women over seventy or even over eighty. I think those are the ones that that. Are, are my biggest fans yeah <laughs> so do you do you ever just you know for a confidence boost you know you need a little ego boost just go kind of tour a few a few rest homes here and there just kind of go by <laughs> i actually did do that uh, a few months ago um i have a a, a mother-in-law 
in Preston, Idaho, who's in a, a care center there. She's 101 years old. Holy moly. Uh, in fact, and we were talking to her outside her window because that's all we could do. And I said, well, I said, well, this is strange. We're talking outside your window. You're old enough that you were around for the last uh, pandemic, oh, you know, 1919 right. wow. or 1818. And she yeah. said, she said, yeah, as a matter of fact, I was. And my father uh, had to, had to, had to see me outside the window, just like you're doing right now when I was a baby, when I was a baby. <laughs> wow. Really? Yeah. Huh. So I, you know, I, yeah, I played a couple of numbers for her outside her window. Yeah. And, and did all of her friends come to their windows and start throwing their, their handkerchiefs out to see if you'd pick them up for them or something like that? Well, they're throwing something. I don't know what it was. But... <laughs> now, do you have any friends or family members who have made it clear to you that, you know, good for you, but maybe don't play them when I'm around? <laughs> uh, they've been pretty polite. I haven't, yeah. had, haven't had anybody tell me not to. I do have a, a little bit of tradition on Christmas morning uh, when my uh, when my older uh, sons, you know, stay overnight and, they, and they're not, not awake uh, on Christmas morning. Uh, I wake them up to the bagpipes and I make no effort whatsoever to play them well. That's awesome. That. I might need to start that tradition in my own family. That's a great idea. It's a great alarm clock. Maybe, maybe when I'm, when someday when, if Kevin's listening to this, he's probably thinking to himself, please do not because Kevin uh, is my neighbor straight downstairs. So maybe, maybe someday <laughs> when, when, when I'm no longer have a, a direct neighbor like that, who would be also awakened by bagpipes in the morning, maybe then I'll start that tradition. <laughs> so what about, um, songs and tunes, you know, in, in the few years, you know, in the last few years that you've been up on pipes and stuff, have, um, have you encountered any songs or tunes that just really stick with you that are absolute favorites to play over and over again? Well, it's funny because it seems to change a little bit. Some of the the tunes that were my my favorites when I started are not as much, so much now, and some that I didn't care for before have become my favorites. I, I don't know why. Um, like uh, Skyboat Song, I didn't care for that when I first learned it, but now it's one of my favorites. Hmm. Um, and my favorite used to be uh, Rowan Tree. I still like it, but. Is, I guess I've gotten kind of bored with it now. Um, <clears throat> I've tried to pick up a few like church hymns. Yeah. Uh, just to give a little more variety. You know, when I was playing for my neighbors, I thought, well, it'd be fun if I could play some things that are familiar to them. Oh, sure. Especially if you're playing on a Sunday afternoon, right? If they've just come from church, right. it'd be fun for them to hear some church songs. Yeah. Oh, awesome. Do you have any, uh, I mean, some, some church hymns, sure. Um, do, do you have any other, uh, like, uh, you know, any other sort of aspirational tunes, you know, that you heard somebody playing or a band playing, you thought, I'm going to learn that someday. That's currently a, kind of at the top of your someday list. Oh, uh, yeah, absolutely. Is that list when, I, when I heard when I heard you and play you and uh, Scott playing O Come O Come Emmanuel. Oh, <laughs> I, I thought I am going to do that someday. <laughs> <laughs> oh, it was it was just it just uh, it cut me to the core. I mean, it was so beautiful and uh, spiritual. Uh, and as I said, my daughter is, a, is quite an accomplished pianist and she can play the, the organ as well. And I thought, man, that would be wonderful if, if I could, uh, I guess you have to play that with a, a different chanter. Is that correct? Yeah. There are a couple different ways you can pull it off, but that is probably one of the easiest is that's the way Scott and I did it. Yeah. We got a, a concert B flat chanter and then adjusted some of the drone tuning so that it would closer match what the organ was tuned to. Yeah, I don't know if I if I would have the skill to do that, but boy, that would 
And I don't, I don't know if they'd allow me to do it in church either. Do they, they allow bagpipes in church? <laughs> that, I, my experience so far is that it depends entirely upon sort of the local church leadership. And, uh, you know, sometimes they'll say yes, sometimes they'll say no. And sometimes you can convince them even if they said no at first. <laughs> <laughs> but that, yeah, that was my dream. But boy, I, I want to repeat what you and Scott did. That would be that would be the the top for me. Well, I'll, I'll, I'd be more than happy to help you get that set up. It's it's really not that hard on the pipe side as long as you've got a, a good accompanist like uh, you know Scott's an excellent organ player. That's that's really the main challenge. So I'm sure your daughter could do an excellent job of, of that. Yeah. Um, now, um, do you have like if you were talking to a person, you know, be it a kid or or or, or an adult, anybody, you know, somebody who's like sort of on the fence, kind of considering like oh, maybe I'll dive into this pipe band world, be it on drums or pipes or whatever. Um, what would you say to that person, you know, advice or encouragement, what kind of things come to mind that you would, you would speak to that kind of person? Well, I'd say it's a great way to get girls. No, no, that, would, that probably wouldn't work. Um, we all know that that's a lie. <laughs> um, man, I, I don't know. Cause it, to me, if you're, if you're not already interested in it, I don't know that I could really make you be interested in it. Yeah. Yeah. I think I don't think I would be looking to to recruit somebody who's not already in love with it. Mm, yeah. I think what you need to do is find somebody who loves the music, which isn't hard to find. I mean, they're, they're you know you kind of get these groupies that hang around and, and love to listen to you play and just you know grab them. <laughs> yeah, and maybe it's a similar experience to your own, right? That like you know you loved the pipes but never kind of considered it as like kind of an option to learn. Um, and maybe you just you find people who love it and just say. Hey, it's a possibility. You could learn. Well, yeah. I mean, I you know I didn't start start learning until I was fifty five. Um, you know, I wish I started younger. I look at some of these uh, you know teenagers and such, and they, they pick it up so much quicker and so much better than than, than I have. Um, yeah, know, I think they, oh, I think that their brains and their bodies just work better than mine. <laughs> yeah, we've, we've had some of, some of the kids that have come through the band program. It's like, okay, I it seems like just last week this kid was trying to figure out how to hold a chanter, and now he's he's out he's playing circles around me. What what what's going on here? Right. Uh, yeah, I think just just getting him exposed to it and and uh, giving him the opportunity. Um, and you know, I'm sure, yeah, a lot of them when they when they realize you got to start out with this goofy little practice chanter, and it's it's not that much fun. And I'm not going to be marching in a parade with this thing. Um, you know, they've got to have legitimate interest and some patience. But uh, I, I, yeah, you just capture those ones who who are gathering around, and and, uh, and a lot of times, what what I like to do when I do have, especially kids gathering around, is just explain to them a little bit bit about how the pipes work. Yeah, you know, yeah, because you know, they're they're curious to say, well, how's this? Because I had no idea when I was a kid that how those things even worked. Yeah, uh, and just you know, kind of pull them apart. Say, look, here's the reeds. You know, you're actually playing four instruments at once, and this is how this works, and this is how that works, and you know, get their curiosity going. Yeah, yeah, you know, I can remember uh, when I was a teenager learning to play, and I was practicing out close to the high school I went to, and this. Uh, this, you know, this, this kind of hick kid who, who, uh, who I was, you know, maybe not close friends with, but you know, who I knew in school came walking by and he goes, Hey, he's like, what's that thing in there? That sounds like a machine. And I was like, what, what do you mean? He's like, it sounds like you're starting a machine. You got some kind of machine in there running the whole thing. And I realized he meant the drones and it's like, Oh, well here, let me show you. Um, do you, uh, do you have a favorite, um, like 
do you have any favorite pieces of equipment? You know, have you tried multiple chanters or, or different reads or anything that you're like, Hey, I found, I really like this. This, I like the way this thing feels. I can't say I have, I, I mean, there, you know, there was a, a, a difference, you know, going from uh, my grandfather's uh, packies to my uncle's Hardy's. I, I did see a big difference between those two, but that's really the only thing I've ever had a chance to compare. Yeah, sure. Well, what about aspirations? Do you have, like, if money were no object, is there any bagpiping uh, setup, equipment, travel plans, anything like that that you would just love to have or do? I I, I think it might be interesting to uh, to play with the uh, small pipes sometime. I don't you know almost nothing about them. Yeah. But uh, it'd be fun to, you know, to try different types of, of pipes. I mean, the, you know, the Highland pipes are the only things I'm familiar with. But uh, it, it'd be fun to try different types. Yeah, have you ever seen those um, Henderson imports? They they have uh, they're sort of resident piper, and he's done a whole series of videos where he just kind of demos all the pipes that they have in stock, um, hmm. small pipes and otherwise. These, no, I'm not familiar with that. Oh well, they've got videos out, and, and oh, and also that guy Matt Willis bagpiper. He does a lot of unboxing videos on YouTube where he'll just open up different kinds of small pipes and and, and Highland pipes and chanters and all kinds of stuff. And I'm just so jealous of these guys. I'm like, man, if I if I could adjust my career such that I like owned a music shop or something, I wouldn't have to like personally own a bunch of different sets of pipes, but I would stock them in my store so I could at least try them. It would be so much fun to just yeah. like run around trying a bunch of different stuff. And defile them before you sell them. <laughs> that's to right. Else. That's right. <laughs> now, when you get ready to go do a performance, whether it's, you know, front yard for your neighbors or a parade or, or a competition with the band, do you have any sort of pre-performance ritual the night before or the day of, you know, be it sort of sort of a mental practice to get yourself in the zone or preparing your instrument or uniform? What kind of stuff do you go through before you, you know, head out to perform? Well, I wouldn't say I have any particular ritual. Um, I think, you know, I, I, you know, run through whatever pieces I'm going to be playing a, a few times. I would say probably what I found to be most important isn't so much what I do, but what I don't do. And what, what I find is, is, um, uh, I need to be careful not to, to overdo it. Like, you know, right before a performance to go through it too many times. Oh, sure. I think it's good to go through it a couple of times and then just try to relax. Mm. And, uh, um, cause what, what I find like particularly say before, a before a, uh, parade or a big performance, you know, if I spend an hour, hour and a half, uh, warming up and playing, well, by the time I actually get into the parade, I'm kind of spent. <laughs> That's yeah. Sound advice. It's, That's absolutely true. Yeah. You know, and halfway through the parade, I can't even hardly play anymore. Like, and like so, you yourself feel spent, but also your instrument seems tired, right? <laughs> yeah. And you know, I can't, my, my mouth won't even go around the, the blowpipe anymore. I mean, it's yeah. like, and it's, uh, so I have to, I just kind of try to be careful not to, not to overdo it, you know, before the performance so that I've got plenty of energy and, and I'm still feeling a little fresh, you know, for the parade or the performance. Mm. Well, that's sound advice. Yeah, that that makes a lot of sense. I can definitely relate to that. Um, do you uh, have any favorite uh, individual pipers or or pipe bands or groups that include bagpipes or even just sort of, you know, even just like world music that's kind of, you know, bagpipe adjacent that you like really love to listen to? Well, I'm kind of partial to the Garden Valley pipe band. Yeah. Amen. So. Amen, brother. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, actually, I'm, I'm, I'm not really educated enough to know 
you know, I, you know, I've got a few things downloaded that I just downloaded off the web onto my, on my phone that I listen to. Yeah. But to be honest with you, I'm not really educated enough to know who's good and who's not. <laughs> oh, I understand. Absolutely. I, I'm sure you've, you've had the experience that many pipers have and, and drummers too, I'd imagine of just like, you just kind of Google it or get on YouTube and just like type in like bagpipes or cool bagpipes and you just find stuff that's nice. Or download a tune that we're going to be uh, learning with the band, you know, just download it so I can hear what it's supposed to sound like. Right. Yeah. Yeah. And, and speaking of that, what is usually your method for learning a tune? Does it almost always include downloading a form of it so you can listen to it? Yeah. Yeah. Because, you know, when I'm, when I'm, I don't have a lot of musical experience I and mean, I'm not the greatest at, at sight reading. I mean, I can kind of figure, you know, I can figure it out, but you know, I'm sure my phrasing isn't quite right. My timing's off and, you know, it, it really helps to hear, somebody who actually knows how to play it so i so i can hear what it's supposed to sound like yeah so here so i have something i have something to imitate yeah yeah oh i can relate to that absolutely not not to shift gears too much but i am curious robert like what you know outside of um not killing very many people for utah county uh for, for you know professionally and then of course your bagpiping uh personally and with the the pipe band um, what other things occupy your time and energy? What other passions and interests and, uh, and also obligations do you have? Well, you know, it's interesting because I, I love history. Uh, I always have loved, loved history. I've loved old things and old artifacts and relics. Uh, it's really since I was a kid, I remember, I, I, you know, I, I was a coin collector when I was a young kid. And I start. I started that when I found a 1901 nickel on the sidewalk when I was when I was nine years old, and I was just fascinated by that. And I think, you know, to me, uh, you know, coin collecting to me was like it was a physical connection to the past. And I could think, you know, if I had a like an 1850 something penny, I say maybe this penny was in Abraham Lincoln's pocket at one time. Yeah. You know, it's like it's like a physical connection to the past. I've just always been fascinated, and it's, it's interesting because I I love history, in particular American history. I also love crossword puzzles, hmm. and I think I like I love them for the same reason, and it kind of goes to my kind of my view of kind of a spiritual view that I have that you know we all come from the same God, and so we're all connected to each other. Hmm. You know that if you could pick some guy from south america or from australia or from africa and somehow we are all connected mm. you know we come from the same god and we are all part of the same family but and we could find those connections and and a crossword puzzle is kind of the same way you start with this empty grid and you start filling it in and they're all connected somehow mm. and it's it, it's hugely satisfying for me to complete a, a crossword puzzle and can't connect everything and history is kind of the same way it's you know you're finding you know how did this event in Tennessee in 1862, uh, how does that connect to what happened in Germany in 1945? Or, you know, and they are connected somehow. There are, you know, streams of connection between them all. Um, and that, so that kind that's of just kind of how my idea, huh? That's kind of how my, my mind works. And for me, bagpiping relates to that because uh, the bagpipes are a connection to my heritage mm. to my family and to my heritage uh my grandfather my dad's father was a scottish immigrant he he came to uh immigrated to park city utah uh in about uh, 1913 i guess to work in the mines 
um, fought. He went and fought in, in uh, World War One. He fought in the Battle of the Somme and several of the other battles there. Um, uh, I never knew him. He died before I was born. But to me, the bagpipes are a physical connection to my Scottish heritage and to my family. Um, so it, it has, besides the music and the culture, it, it just has a, a, a deeper meaning to me. That's beautiful. Do you do you feel like the that kind of sort of worldview affects the? Mm, I mean, of course, this isn't a value judgment compared to how other people enjoy music. But do you think that that comes into regular effect in the way that you are experiencing bagpipe music when you play it or hear it? Maybe especially tunes like Battle Battle of the Somme or some of the older marches or even Peabrook that that are you know the tune itself is very old. Absolutely. I mean, I, I'm not. I need to educate myself better on, on, you know, on the origins of a lot of these, these pieces. And I sure. think as I do, it does help to, to give these, these pieces meaning to me. Uh, that's one thing I appreciate about uh, Jeff, Jeff McClellan. I mean, he, he knows a lot of this stuff and he'll share some of, of you know, hey, hey, this is what this means. And this is where that came from. I, I guess I, I, maybe I'm a little too lazy to do that research, <laughs> but he, he shares a lot of that with us. I agree um, entirely. Yeah. I mean, I've been playing pipes for, for, getting closer to 20 years now and i've never done the kind of research that jeff will throw out at us at practice you know when he's, he's like well here's who lady lever was and this is where the park was it's like wow that right. really adds a lot to the music how how awesome well yeah when i'm playing you know when i'm playing battle of the song I, I feel like yelling out hey my my grandpa fought then my yeah. grandpa fought there yeah. this is my song right. yeah <laughs> That is so cool. You know, there's there's a book that um oh it's by Fiona. I think the name was Fiona. I have it on my shelf here. Um, it's called Wayfaring Strangers, and it's ah, I can't remember the host's name. This uh this really uh well spoken and and uh, intelligent woman who puts together this uh this program for NPR, all about what it's called like the Shamrock or something like that. It's a uh, this sort of Celtic music program. But she, with some other people, put together this book called Wayfaring Strangers. It's all about sort of the movement of musical tradition across the Atlantic. That um, It's a very interesting book. I wonder if you'd find it in particular interesting. Um, maybe we talk afterward. If you, if you ever want to borrow it, I've got a copy of it here. It's really great. Sure. Anyway, that's not to sidetrack the, the discussion here or anything. But, uh, but that, that's, that's really cool. So do you, have you kept up your coin collecting? Uh, you know, I still have them. But it's, it's, it's a lot harder to find. You know, I used to find all my coins in my change. Yeah. And, yeah. and you just don't find old, old coins in your change anymore. I, I, you know, maybe it's because, you know, when I was 10, if I found a 20-year-old coin, I thought that was ancient. Yeah, sure. You know, yeah. I, and, you know, now I find a coin that's 50 years old. And it's like, well, that, that's just yesterday. Right, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I'm older than this coin, whatever. Just toss it. <laughs> yeah. I, mean, I used to have a... I had a, a couple of ladies in, in, a, in the local grocery store that I had uh, recruited to uh, scout for coins for me. So that, that was a great source. You know, I'd, I'd come by and say, hey, I found a buffalo nickel. Oh, wow. So they, uh, yeah. she, they'd save them for me. Yeah. Awesome. Now, uh, Robert, do you, you have your, your band kilt. Do you own any other kilts of other tartans? Yeah. Actually, my first kilt um, I got – at uh, Salt Lake Scottish Festival, uh, it was before I joined the band or started playing or anything. I thought, you know, I should have a kilt, and 
there is no Baxter kilt, but uh, I guess uh, Baxter is a sept of, of Macmillan. So I, I got a Macmillan kilt. Mm -hmm. So that was my first kilt. Um, and then I thought it'd be a good idea because my mother's an Armstrong. And there is an Armstrong kilt. And that, that's actually my favorite kilt. So I, and I knew my mother was, was getting older. I thought, you know, if I ever, if I ever am going to play at her, at her funeral, when that time comes, it'd be nice to do it in her kilt. So I, I, I got an Armstrong kilt. Mm -hmm. and, and then of course the, the band kilt. So I've got three. I'm looking up those tartans right now just to see them. They're both cool, but yeah, that, that Armstrong tartan, especially that's a very pretty, that's really nice. I like that a lot. What a cool name too, Armstrong. That's awesome. <laughs> Not, nothing against your father, of course, but like personally, I, I, if, I, if, I, if my mother's maiden name was something like Armstrong, I'd be like, well, could we all keep that name? You know, like my, my well, mother's maiden name is Dickie. So I never thought that personally, <laughs> but you know, Armstrong sounds awesome. Well, and I, and I love the motto and I have the Armstrong pin on my, on my hat. Uh, it's in, Invictus Maneo, which means I remain unvanquished. Oh, that's awesome. That's very cool. Now, uh, Robert, do you have any, any uh, even if it's general just for life, do you have any like really great words of wisdom or advice that really stick with you that you want to share with, with your fellow bandmates? <laughs> um, no pressure. <laughs> <laughs> well, I think, I think what I would share, and this isn't so much for the bandmates, but for, for people in general, is it's never too late to learn something new. Uh, in fact, I, I I was asked to give a presentation for um, a bunch of you know government uh, purchasers and finance people, and uh, you know I just gave it's kind of you know lessons learned that I've learned over my federal career and everything. And, and at the end of it, I actually pulled out the pipes and played them a tune and said, you know, I didn't start learning this till I was fifty five years old. It's never too late to learn something new. Um, That's awesome. So there's that. That's very cool. Um, and was, was it well received in that? In that? Oh program? yeah, they yeah they loved it. <laughs> um, in fact, they asked me to come back and do it for another venue. Yeah, that beats PowerPoint any day. <laughs> uh, but I, but I think as far as any advice I would have for for band members, I think it's just you know, stay consistent. Keep it's better to to do a little every day than to than to try to do a whole bunch in spurts. You know, just keep. Mm. Uh, because I, I really found during that time when I was playing for my neighbors, it really upped my uh, my skills. Just playing for a you know twenty thirty minutes a day, mm. uh, it made a big difference. Yeah. Oh, I can relate to that, man. I even though I kind of know it intellectually, I still fall into this trap of thinking like, well, if I don't have time to you know go through rudiments and then work on the practice channel and then get out my pipes and check every connection and tune everything perfectly and then play you know if i don't have time for like an hour and a half thorough practice session what's the point you know and then i end up going two weeks without playing at all where if i just be like you know i'm going to play one tune then i would get a lot more playing in yeah all right so so final question for you robert uh unless was there anything else that you would enjoy talking about i can cut this part out you know and so we just go <laughs> smoothly into it uh no i think we kind of covered it I could start talking about my family, but that'd be about a half hour discussion there because it you know involves uh, a blended family. Uh, between my wife and me, we have 14 children. Whoa. All right. Well, uh, you know what? Share what you're comfortable <laughs> with, Robert. You got to talk a little bit about that. 14 children. I'm well, sitting here. I, I just had f my fourth child, and I don't think I'm going to survive. 
How well, do you have 14 <laughs> children? Well, well, neither of us had more than four at a time. Yeah, okay. Well, <laughs> <laughs> I, that's, yeah, okay, four at a time. Well, that's right where I'm at, and that's uh, about my limit for sure. It's beyond my limit. So how did 14 well, happen? Well, out of those 14, only two of them are biologically mine. Um, wow. I was, you know, I married shortly before my 22nd birthday. I married a, uh, a single mom. She had two children. And uh, so we got married and then I had, we had two more children. Those were the two biological ones. And, and, and I don't mean to interrupt you here, Robert, but I'm curious just for the sake of sort of building this in my mind, was this occurring while you were traveling the world in, in a different country or did, was this family moving with you from place to place, et cetera? The, this started before, while I was in college and, and then, uh, then I got married and then, yes, I, then they traveled the world with me. Wow. Uh, that my first marriage ended in divorce about 22 years ago. Mm -hmm. And I, I remarried while I was in Kenya. I met, I met a woman there uh, in Kenya who was also a single mom. She had one son. Uh, and we were married actually in Kenya. Uh, she was not a member of the church when I met her, but I baptized her and married her. And, and uh, yeah, you got her in. <laughs> I got her in. Uh, she was then diagnosed with cancer. Oh, um, sorry to hear that. But uh, we we had uh, we adopted three children, the two of us. We adopted two boys, young boys from Russia, and a little girl from China. And, and was so this we, while you were in Kenya? You adopted these children. Uh, this was this was after we after that. This is while we were in uh, in Vienna and uh, Germany. We adopted those kids, mm. and then um, <clears throat> while we were living in in uh, Vienna, I got a phone call from uh, the mission president there who said that you know hey, there's a woman traveling there's a woman here traveling from american fork utah with her husband her husband just died of a heart attack oh no uh, can, you know you work in the embassy can you help her out so you know my wife and i we stepped in and you know helped took her in and, and helped her get things uh taken care of and Man, that must have been the and, worst vacation that woman ever had oh yeah it was it was rough yeah but uh you know she and my wife kept in contact after that and then a couple of years later, uh, the cancer came back uh, for my wife and, and she passed away in 2009. And uh, this woman who we'd met in Vienna came to the service. I brought her out to Utah for the burial and she came to the service and we became reacquainted. And a year later, we got married. Wow. Wow. And she had, so she had uh, six kids uh, that she brought along. So my eight plus or my first four and my second four plus her six that adds up to 14. there's only one living at home now it's my youngest the little chinese girl she's the pianist yeah uh but we we get along remarkably well um, yeah <laughs> what a what a wild story man i mean certainly i don't mean to gloss over the parts of it which are which surely were and still are you know emotionally heavy and difficult but it's that is not your typical um family building experience that's amazing no was if, if somebody had told me at the age of 15 what my life was going to look like <laughs> yeah. i think i'd have just shot myself i would have... <laughs> yeah i can't even imagine wow <laughs> good thing it kind of happened one thing at a time huh because all at once that would have been absolutely overwhelming oh yeah do you but I, you know i consider myself very blessed i think uh, i've had a, i've had a wonderful life i can't complain have you ever have you ever sort of considered or meditated on the possibility that sort of that that sort of feeling of interconnectedness that you have that sort of worldview that you have 
might either influence or be influenced by your experience not only traveling all around the world and therefore getting to know a lot of people from different backgrounds and places more than most people have the opportunity to do in their own lifetimes but also having these very close familial ties to people from all different walks of life and every hemisphere yeah i i think so i mean it um uh you know, when you're, when you're traveling to a place like Africa or, you know, Asia or something, they're so different. You think, how can we, how can I be related to these people? They're, they're nothing like me, but, but they are. Yeah. So you find that when you, the more you get to know them, that we are just one family, that we do have a lot more that, that binds us together than that separates us. Yeah. That's beautiful. I, I don't mean to speak disparagingly of myself. You know, I'd like to think that I'm a loving and open-minded person. But the, the simple fact is that I met my wife when I was 14 years old in a small town in, in southern Utah or central that, Utah. We well, that's very young. There. That's very young to get married. Well, you know, we didn't get married quite then. But that's, you know, oh. we, we were friends from that point. And my wife is the first person who I ever kissed or dated or anything, you know, like, and I don't regret that in any way. But what I'm getting at is just that my wife and I both grew up in the same small town we now live like 25 miles from that town we have four children between us like our like in the in our mental space the geographical area and the cultures that our immediate day-to-day world encompass is very small compared to the geographical space that exists in your mind and heart which probably is just you know it's taken in stride it's probably not something you have to think about every day but you know the, the simple fact is our experiences are vastly different you know well, when I was 15 years old, my greatest ambition was to one day fly on an airplane. Hmm. Um, and, you know, to go from that to how, how my life has ended up, I, I could have never predicted that. Yeah. <laughs> Airplanes are old, boring news for you at this point, huh? <laughs> oh, there were days when I'd get to the airport, you know, in, in Kenya, I'd get to the airport and go, I have to pull out my ticket. Wait, where am I going today? <laughs> oh, oh yeah, Zimbabwe. Goodness. Okay, got it. <laughs> wow. Wow, that's wild, man. So, do you, do you ever get kind of cabin fever? Now you're kind of settled in one place. Uh, I like to travel, but it's kind of nice to be settled. It's yeah. kind of nice to be home, because um, I never really felt like I was home in any of these places. I always felt like I was kind of, you know, dis disjointed, disconnected a little bit. It's nice to be home. I do like to travel, mm. uh, but it's nice to come back home. Yeah, yeah. Wow. Let's go out on this, you know, trivial and, and comical uh, a piece here. Tell me how you feel about pineapple and its relationship to pizza. Oh, I'm okay with it. Let people eat what they want. Hmm. But, but, and you don't have to reveal this if you'd rather not, you know, if you don't want to have people break, breaking down your door because they disagree with you, you don't have to tell me. But what about you personally? Oh, it's not my favorite, but I, I've, I've had Hawaiian pizzas. I, I think they're okay. Yeah. I like them. But I will tell you what does not belong on a pizza. Tell me. I, I was, <laughs> this was in Austria. I ordered a vegetarian pizza and it came with lettuce and peas on it. Whoa, which really? It, that, that's just a sacrilege. Were they hot? Was the lettuce and peas hot? Well, yeah. I gotta just, you know, they were cooked on the pizza. Wow, really? I just couldn't, I couldn't believe it.